Welcome to the Recovery Stories Podcast, bringing you stories of hope, healing, and triumph over the bondage of addictions, mental health struggles, trauma, and dysfunctional family systems. Our courageous storytellers have chosen to live their journey out loud in order to show others that they don't have to suffer in silence. The stories you will hear are raw, real, and may involve graphic and triggering content. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or are ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 877-351-7504 or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. This is the Recovery Stories Podcast, and I'm your host, Patrick Custer. I'm so glad that you've tuned in with us today and hope you stick around to the end of this episode to find encouragement and hope through this story. Today, we're going to hear from Chloe Nutter, not only a wonderful woman, but a friend of mine and a beacon of light in the recovering community here in Nashville, Tennessee. We had a bit of a technical difficulty, so without much introduction... Uh, we're going to get right to it and turn the floor over to Chloe. So glad to have you on. Take it away, Chloe. So my, I guess in childhood, I had always done things um, alcoholically, not necessarily with alcohol, just um, I always exhausted everything. I was, I was the youngest of four, so I was always hanging around um, older kids. I wanted to do what they were doing. Um, and that's just kind of how I grew up. My siblings were four years older than me, six years older than me, or nine years older than me. Um, and they were always having people over. I was always wanting to be part of the crowd. I really, um, you know, I would hang out with them late nights while they were drinking. That just seemed to me what it was like to be, you know, 16 to 20 something. That's just what you did. Um, and not that that was a bad influence. That's just how I grew up. Getting older, whenever I was in high school, I didn't hang out with the best crowd. I didn't hang out with people that um, were striving for something. I hung out with people that wanted a party. That um, And really, when I look back at it, all my friend groups were like that. Um, even in middle school. It's as soon as you could start acting and acting out and misbehaving, that's whenever I did it. Um, I think I was in trouble so much. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I was grounded from like 13 to like 18 um, and rightfully so. I just always did things in that type of way. Um, my mom was a single parent of four. My dad lived in Virginia, so I just had one parent she was already, I was a surprise baby. Um, so by the time I came along, she was just really tired, I think. <laughs> um, she, kind, she kept a strict eye on me, but, you know, she was also keeping an eye on three other children. And I was definitely using that to my advantage. Um, I remember getting away with a lot, but I remember also getting caught with a lot. She finally um, started catching on to the things that I would do. Um, hence why I was grounded for a long time. I, my friends group, my friend group, um, definitely behaved in the same way that I did. And typically 
you hang out with, you know, like-minded people. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess we all got in trouble a lot. Um, whenever I started drinking heavier, I would say I didn't really drink until I was like 21. I mean, I did drink, but I didn't really like it. Um, until I really, really liked it. Um, and it wasn't so much like I didn't have like a drink whenever I went somewhere or went out with my friends. It wasn't like I got a vodka soda. It was like a beer and a shot. Um, and that's what I stuck to. Tequila was my drink. It didn't matter what beer it was as long as it wasn't like disgusting. And um, they could chase down whatever I was shooting. It was never, there was no um, maybe get a little buzz and then, you know, go home. I didn't drink like that. I always drank alcoholically. I did everything, um, everything kind of in that way. Um, I, I would like to say in my head that um, some of my trauma is the reason why I drank so heavily in my adult life, but I feel like I was always on that path. Um, even if nothing had happened to me, I would still have drank the same amount, still needed to go to rehab, still needed treatment. Um, some things just acted as a catalyst for the severity of my alcoholism. Um, I would say, um, you know, I didn't, I really wasn't drinking during the daytime, but I did, I was trying to pinpoint in my life when my life got to that. Um, I was living with one of my ex-boyfriends and he would sometimes drink during the daytime and we were both servers. So we both kind of lived the same lifestyle. He could drink during the daytime. I really couldn't. Um, uh, I was also in school then. So I was just really focused on that. Um, but definitely played hard when I could play. Um, but that was my first experience with somebody who like goes into to a restaurant setting, um, under the influence of anything. Um, and eventually like I would join in with him, but not really, um, you know, I was still in school before we broke up. So I would say maybe it happened whenever I moved into a house with, um, two other people and I was going through a breakup at the time. So wake up, you know, have drinks, go to brunch. Um, it slowly started on the weekends and then more and more. Um, I think it was summer when I moved in there. So we would do a lot of stuff during the daytime, mainly, you know, lay out, go to the lake, go on the boat, doing something that really circled around alcohol. And, um, that's how I really lived my life for the better part of two years. Um, and then my drinking became, um, all the time, constant. I had a little bit of trauma here and there and, uh, you know, really began to drink in the morning. And I, I feel like the only excuse for me to drink that much was I just didn't want to be conscious and like living. I didn't feel like I was living normally. Um, I knew that I had a problem, but I didn't know how to come out on the other side of it. I didn't understand that rehab would be an option for me. Um, 
I remember telling one of my friends that I needed to go to rehab. And um, they were like, no, you don't. You're fine. You can do it. You can do it. But th at that point, it wasn't about me not wanting to drink towards the end of my alcoholism. It wasn't about um, what I wanted. It was, I have to drink because I get the shakes so bad. I have to drink because I'm literally puking. If I don't, um, I can't function. And I was so miserable towards the end of it. And that's why I feel truly today, like you could not pay me to pick up a drink. I would never go back to that spot. Um, and that's where, uh, you know, it was a very, my liver enzymes were so high that uh, my body wasn't allowing itself to heal itself. Meaning whenever I went on 4th of July last year, um, I climbed into bed with my sister and I hit my shin on, I guess, the outing of the, the surrounding of the bed and it got a golf ball size knot on my shin and it looked like maybe I had chipped a bone or my whole leg was black from like my knee to my ankle. And it hurt to walk on it. So my friend um, at work, I was supposed to work that night. He called my mom and said that she needed to come pick me up because something's wrong with my leg. I need to go to the ER. They took me to the ER. They took my blood. They ran a bunch of tests and um, they came back and said that my liver enzymes were so high. My body wasn't allowing itself to heal itself. I had over 150 bruises on me. Um, you could literally just like touch very lightly and I would get a bruise. Um, I definitely think when I think about the night before I went into rehab, I think of whatever I'm sitting in my bra and my underwear in front of my parents and just being, just letting, just hearing everything that the doctor said. Of course the doctor's mad at me. That was the first time I've had another adult yell at me in front of my parents. <laughs> um, I'm glad that she did, but I guess I had always thought to myself, if I didn't get help, I was gonna cap out at 40. And um, I was 26 whenever I was there that night. I turned 27 while I was in rehab. Um, and before I ever vocalized that thought to them, they said, um, wait, the rate that you drink right now, you, you'll need a liver transplant and it's gonna take 10 years. And we don't know if you have 10 years. So that would have capped me out around 36 or 37. Um, hearing that, that it was just like this internal fear that I had always had that was actually really going to come true. Um, I think when my mom heard it, when my parents heard it, there was just no other option for me. Um, I either had to get help or that was just going to be it. Um, so I went to the ranch. Um, I stayed there for 56 days. I kept on thinking, I was like, I'm not going to turn 27 in rehab. And I, <laughs> I did. Um, I think I ended up always like pushing back my date to come home because I love being in rehab so much. Um, the experience that I learned there really gave me my life back. Um, I, I didn't see life ever getting this good for me. I didn't see... I couldn't even fathom goals before I got sobriety. Um, goals now, you know, I didn't even realize the little goals that I had before, like having a family and being a wife and um, none of that could have happened in, in my addiction. Now I can, you know, see myself doing those things. Um, so at the ranch I learned 
how I was doing things alcoholically. And, um, and by alcoholic, I they always use the word obsession. And I didn't really understand that either because I feel like I'm not obsessed with alcohol. But if I think about my habits, you know, keeping alcohol under my pillow, keeping alcohol always around me in my car or in my room or even at my house in general. Um, and if you can't keep a liquor cabinet, as in like always, if it's just there for your guests or whatever, that never happened at my house. You couldn't keep the alcohol there. If you put a bottle there, it was gone that night. Um, an alcohol cabinet sounds funny. Like that, that would have never happened. Um, And I wouldn't say the people that I surrounded myself were um, necessarily alcoholics. I just did things so alcoholically and it didn't really matter what they were doing. Towards the end of it, I was drinking um, all the time, so much so that my parents could smell it on me at any time. Um, and I wouldn't be acting drunk because I, was, I had that high of a tolerance. Um, I was really just trying to hide the shakes. And even though I've been sober for eight months, I'm going on nine months, like I still get random shakes, but now it's just because I drink, I drank coffee and I don't ever drink coffee. Um, and now I, I find them funny when before they used to really upset me when somebody would mention it because I felt like I had done everything. I had three drinks before, you know, before this function. So I shouldn't be shaking. Um, and that felt like, Hiding the symptoms of withdrawal felt like a prison in and of itself. Um, when things stopped becoming a choice, that was hell on earth. Um, and now, you know, due to the ranch, due to everybody um, suggested going to rehab, staying as long as you can in rehab once you get out, do six months of sober living, six months to a year. Um, I would definitely recommend listening to what is suggested. I ended up staying 56 days at the ranch. Um, I would have stayed there longer if I just didn't run out of money in my savings account um, to pay my bills. <laughs> I would still go back there. I love it. Um, and then as soon as I, I went door to door, I went to Sober Living with Footprints, um, which is a great sober living house in Nashville. Um, through keeping that accountability, um, I was able to measure a healthy life, but still be um, in the real world, not living in a bubble of rehab, but um, kind of still having the bubble to go home to at the sober living house is nice. And you're surrounded by people who are going through the same things as you. Um, I have an amazing support group of friends who uh, try to understand a little bit or they do understand somewhat, you know, they saw me whenever I was in my addiction, like they see me now. Um, and now whenever we hang out, I just realized that they don't really, they don't really do, they don't drink that much. Um, I was just always getting blackout hammered whenever I was around them and drinking. Um, but I definitely spend a lot more time with them now than I ever did because their life is mostly sober. Um, I just lived my life mostly drunk. Um, I would say in all my years of 
drinking very heavily. Um, I would say that I lived that lifestyle for about seven years, six to seven. Um, now I, a few things have happened to me, um, since, since leaving rehab and also leaving the sober living house. Um, I got in a really bad car, car accident the other day with two of my friends and, um, they, we hit a pothole, um, on the interstate in a puddle and it ended up hydroplaning us and we smashed the side. We hit three times across the interstate and, um, went under a guardrail and totaled the car. Um, I wasn't wearing my seatbelt like an idiot and I was in the back seat, but I braced myself and I just remember thinking this is it because we thought the car was going to flip. But also I didn't have that fear of like, oh my God, I don't have a relationship with God. What if I'm going to go to hell? I always used to have that fear. Um, and I just knew it I wasn't, it was scary, but I was just like, thank God I'm sober so that I am able to maintain a healthy relationship with God and like handle something like that. Um, you know, we all walked away without a scratch and had I been um, drinking, I would have just left that scene, gone and got a bottle of tequila and just drank for the next, you know, few months. But now I can process that and just be thankful that um, nothing happened out of that instead of, you know, drowning my sorrows. Um, praying has been a very healthy coping mechanism for me uh, since becoming sober going to meetings, enjoying church, enjoying meetings. Um, as a woman, I, I really like to go to women's meetings, um, especially when you find a good one. 59.25 at 5.30 on Sundays. That's I used to walk in there so bitter towards those women because I thought they were so happy and like I just wasn't finding it until um, I think we were going, I don't remember which chapter we were going through in the big book, but finally the women started talking about their bitterness and I was like, Oh, okay. Finally, some, <laughs> they aren't like marshmallows and gumdrops in this room. Like there's real stuff. Um, and I love that meeting. And, um, you know, I tried to surround myself with people that are really supportive. Right. Whenever I got out of rehab, I would just introduce myself as Chloe alcoholic. You're like, I'm sober, by the way. Like that was just like the first two sentences that came out of my mouth, just because of the accountability. Now that I feel like every anybody who knows me knows that I'm sober, or like I'll just yell it out at some point. <laughs> um, not that I'm tempted. I just feel like it says a lot about me as a person. Um, I hmm. I'm coming to another point. Um, but bring, circling it back to goals, um, you know, I'm 27. I have a degree, but I'm not necessarily using it. Um, I'm thinking about going back to beauty school. All these things that I run through my head every day, um, I just know that the possibility is there now. And I can do it, you know, by myself. Before, I, would, I was always like, Mom, can you, you know, fill out this FAFSA for me? Or can you figure this problem out for me? And now... Um, I mean, I still call her for help all the time, for sure. But um, I know that I can do it myself. And I know that I feel like through my addiction and through my sobriety, I've lived a lot of lifetimes. 
um, the amount that I that I used to drink, I feel like I've exhausted every experience in that aspect. Um, and now that I'm sober and I'm living my life sober, um, I can't wait to continue to exhaust the possibilities being sober. I think that that might be it. Thank you so much for listening. Well, thank you so much, Chloe, for getting vulnerable and sharing your story with us today. I know that so many people have and will continue to find hope and uh, encouragement in hearing and seeing your story. Uh, if you're just tuning in with us for the first time, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, all of the places if you look up Rooted Recovery Stories. Uh, with that, Hope that you all are taking care of yourselves and we are out. For more information on today's episode, check out the show notes. Recovery Stories is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 877-351-7504 or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please share with your friends. Follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are grateful for you and hope that you have been encouraged by today's episode. As always, remember you are only one decision away from a completely different life, and it is never too late to start loving yourself. 